You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Do you know the three most dangerous words in the English language? Here they are. I know that. Why are they dangerous? Because they slam the door to your mind shut. The only way to really know something is to experience it firsthand. I learned this gem from T. Harv Eker, who wrote Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome once again to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. Our sponsor today is Audible. They are offering to the listeners of this show a download for free of an audiobook of your choice. You get to choose from 180,000 titles. You can enjoy this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and of course, the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And on the website, I am offering you a free gift, an ebook, Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. When you read the book and apply what's in it, you will move from invisible to visible to attractive to highly in demand. Let me know what you're getting from this show, what you like, what you would like to see more of. Perhaps things that you would suggest to make it even more valuable to you. Send your comments to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. I will read all of the comments, and then I will choose some of them to share with our audience on a future show. Today's guest is a woman who thought she knew a lot of things. The difference between her and most people is that she was willing to question what she knew. That led her on a journey from being an undercover police officer busting drug dealers to becoming a respected crown attorney busting drug dealers to her courageous step out of law enforcement into network marketing where she and her husband have become millionaires and rising stars. Her name is Pamela Barnum. You can hear her intriguing personal story on one of my earlier podcasts. The title is Crime Buster to Myth Buster, and it is episode number 35 on iTunes. Today, she is here to talk about her exciting and important new book, A Lawyer's Case for Network Marketing. It's my honor and pleasure to welcome her to the show. Pamela, thank you for sharing the myths and truths about network marketing with us today on Change Your Story, Change Your Life. 
Well, thanks so much for having me, Lewis. I tell you, I love your show because you have such fascinating people, a variety of backgrounds. You never know what you're going to get. So I appreciate that you take the time to put all of this together and that you've invited me uh, to be your guest today. And I'm really saying a courageous step in the transition of careers um, is definitely one way to worry it because I, I feel like I went from breaking bad to breaking busy and now breaking some myths around our profession of network marketing is really, really important to me. So thanks again for inviting me to be with you today. You're quite welcome. And and it is a courageous move that you made. I mean, you know, look, people who um, have dead-end jobs are afraid to leave them to do network marketing because of fear. But you and your husband did not have dead-end jobs. You had, like, respectable careers and you stepped into this very uncertain terrain, that takes a lot of courage. And, you know, thanks for acknowledging that you never know what you're going to get on my show. I like the fact that here you are, a person was uh, who was very much, you know, entrenched in law enforcement, and now you share the platform with uh, an ex-wise guy, Lou Ferrante, who uh, served eight years in maximum security prison. I interviewed him twice. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> okay. So, regard. by the way, I love your book. It's, it's such an important book for people to read to really understand what network marketing is about. So, now in this book, which is a lawyer's case for network marketing, you say that there was a game-changing question that one day you asked yourself, and it was on a day when you were in the middle of a drug bust or what you call a drug rip, to be more accurate. Can you describe the events of that day and tell us what that question was that you asked yourself? Well, thanks so much. And, you know, it was really, I was asking myself, and I don't know if it was consciously or subconsciously, but is what I'm doing, you know, really worth it? And that came screaming home physically and emotionally on one day when we were closing out a drug project. So uh, for those that are familiar with how this works, uh, you know, it goes without explanation. But a lot of people don't really understand and they think it's all like it is on TV. But what happens specifically in Canada, for sure, is that we do a long-term deep cover project. So you move into a town, you take on a new identity, you become a different person. That's how I met my husband, actually. We were both undercover officers on this specific project. And you you work your way up through the drug chain, so to speak. You start at street-level drugs, then you move up to their dealers and to their dealers and so on. And you try to get as far as you can up that chain in as little time as possible. So we had 10 months. And when you know the project is coming to an end, you order up a large quantity of drugs that you have no intention of paying for. So you're ripping off the drug dealer, so to speak. So we call it a rip. And that is to get as much drugs off the street as possible, and to not have to spend the money, the taxpayers' money on that, because you're you're buying all of all of this drug. So on this final couple of days of our project, I ordered up a quarter million dollars in ecstasy, and we of course we're going to rip off the drug dealers. So uh, of course all plans change, especially when you're dealing uh, in that circle of people. Things don't always work out as you would hoped, and I ended up having to get into their car, and and we're going to. A, a location and things sort of start getting a little out of place. So my cover team decides they want to take us off right away. And how the how this is all going to end is that I'm going to get arrested as well. So the bad guys don't know that I'm a 
undercover police officer. They think I'm a bad guy so that I can continue going on buying more drugs, doing more rips over the next 24 hours. But what happened in this case is I get a phone call from our cover officers telling me to get out of the car, get out of the car, get out of the car. They're taking it off now. They, they see something really dangerous happening that I'm not aware of. So I have to jump out of this moving vehicle. I skid onto the pavement. And it trust me, Lewis, it's not as graceful and easy as it, they make it look on TV. I have a whole new appreciation for stuntmen because I just sort of fell out like a wet bag of potatoes onto the pavement, got a little scraped up. And, you know, a couple other things happen. And at the end of the day, we get the drug dealers and the drugs and we keep our money. But, you know, I start asking myself, is what I'm doing really worth it? And that question lingered with me into my next career. You mentioned I was a prosecutor and I loved that job as well. When I finished law school, it became, you know, my husband and I decided to have a family. So I'm, I'm not going to buy drugs and jump out of cars anymore for a living as a mom. That didn't seem appropriate. So I now I'm prosecuting drug dealers and a great career, loved it, made a wonderful income, worked with great people. But again, that question is what I'm doing really worth it is spending all day, every day, 12 hours a day, and sometimes on weekends prepping for cases really worth it. When I have a young son, a family, things I want to do, and the overwhelming answer to that question continued to be, no, it's not worth it. It's, you know, I'm not going to look back and say, gee, I wish I'd spent so much more time at work. But I also didn't have a big fantasy of being a network marketer because, first of all, I didn't know what that was. And secondly, I was raised, you know, you go to school, you get a good education, you get a good job with a pension and benefits, and you contribute to your community, to your society. So I was doing those things, but there was always that nagging feeling you know it just wasn't worth it and luckily network marketing landed on my lap and I guess the rest is history so to speak that was a fascinating story the whole thing and especially I mean when you started talking about having to jump out of a car listen how how fast was that car moving that was going about 40 kilometers an hour so it was painful yeah we had turned on to a, a street where we were we were going to meet my back end, which is essentially another undercover police officer unknown to the drug dealers that they had never met, who I portray as Mr. Big, essentially. So you've probably heard that term, Mr. Big. So we always have a Mr. Big in the story who comes into play and is the guy who's making the decisions and doing things and really adds credibility to your street-level story. And that's what we were doing. We were going to meet my back end so we had turned onto the street where we were starting to slow down to meet them but there was a limited opportunity for my cover team which was five officers in unmarked police cars that were sort of you know surrounding us so I could see the one car speed by us and I'm just literally on the cell phone when the drug dealer turns around because there's two of them in the front seat my guy and his back end who had the big quantity of drugs turned around to grab me because I think they started to catch on to what was happening and I just got out of the car so um, I, I was it was pure adrenaline after that I don't I don't even know how I got up and ran to where I had to go to but uh, it, I, fortunately I don't have to do that as a network marketer anymore Lewis there's no moving vehicles there's no guns and there are no uh, people going to prison so it, it's worked out really well <laughs> I guess. yes indeed well you know you know, I, I just thought of this. You know that I'm a professional actor, right? Yes. And I went to acting school. Well, I, 
I don't know if you realize that you have been to acting school. I mean, in order for you to do what you did, it's undercover, and to succeed at it, you had to learn how to act. Because in your case, if you were not a good actress, you would have been killed. Yeah, that's, that, you know, I never really looked at it that way, but you're so right. And when you're working uh, deep undercover, you're at your 24-7. You have to remember your backstory. You have to remember who you are, what you've already told these people. And you have to have a whole life in place so that if they start to investigate you, which they do, that there are ways for them to find, you know, the little seeds that you've planted as far as who you say you are, where you say you've worked, where you say your family's from, all of those things. So there's definitely an art to it, and uh, it's, it comes with its fair share of challenges. But, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I loved that career, and so many people that you and I have both met in network marketing started out in their 20s, and they've made really significant incomes long before their 30th birthday. And I think that's phenomenal. I love that. I applaud them and it's available to people. But, you know, for people that are listening that are already into their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, beyond, who have had other careers and other experiences, I wouldn't discount that for anything in the world because we are all where we're meant to be at this exact moment. At least that's what I believe. And I, I wouldn't have been as successful as a network marketer had I have not had 12 years as a police officer and years as a prosecutor, you know, 20 years of public service under my belt. I wouldn't have been prepared for all of the things that network marketing has brought into my life had I not had those experiences. So, you know, I would really encourage people, you don't have to jump out of cars and buy crack cocaine for a living to, you know, be a great network marketer. There's no doubt about that. Whatever your career is, and that's really what I found when I was researching some things for the book and talking to people from a variety of backgrounds, you know, Lewis, you, you're phenomenal. You're acting, have that as your background. And you, I'm sure you bring so much of that to your career. And it just, it makes a big difference when people start honoring what their successes have already been and what they're really great at and not beating themselves up for not having overnight success. Uh, I oh. think that's such an important point. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Now, you know, I just thought of this while you were talking, and I'm going to indulge myself here, because this is not really directly related to our topic, but it's fascinating to me. Um, when you're working undercover, and you're posing as a drug user and a drug buyer, how do you resist when they ask you, supposing you're in a situation and they want you to actually use drugs and you're obviously not going to use them, how do you get out of that? Well, there's a whole training process that we go through. And again, Canadians, we're really fortunate because we invest a lot of money and time into our law enforcement. So we have exceptional training and there are months of training that go into working as an undercover police officer. So there are simulation techniques you learn, avoidance techniques you learn. And, you know, I can't go get into that, obviously, especially on a recorded call that a lot of people are going to be listening to. But um, there are techniques and ways, but have there been sticky, hairy situations um, that it felt like there was no way out of? Absolutely, many, many times. And, you know, as you, especially being a woman, I was one female in a unit of 89 officers. Wow. So the drug world has not quite caught up 
to every other part of our society where, you know, we even have a woman who just ran for president of the United States of America. Women are not looked upon as equals in the drug world yet. So my job a lot of times was working with male officers as, you know, their girlfriend, their sister, all of those types of things, because you don't see a lot of women in high end drug positions because it's controlled by organized crime. It's controlled by, uh, you know, bikers, people who don't see women in that same equal lighting. So my job was particularly troublesome in lots of different ways that male officers don't necessarily have to experience. So there, there were definitely things I learned about people and things that I've learned that have helped me in all of my other careers. And even as a parent, you know, the things I've learned uh, through working undercover have just been huge. So I, I would encourage people, you know, if you're, if you're trying network marketing or you're taking a look at it and you feel like, oh, you know, it's just not working for me or the personal growth isn't there or the personal development or you don't have those communication skills, please don't use me as a benchmark or an example in a lot of ways because I come with a ton of experience that I had to learn a lot about reading people instantly because it was, as you said, Lewis, it could be, you know, life or death, physical uh, harm that mm. could come in the, into play. So mm -hmm. most people don't have to learn that way, uh, which is <laughs> a great thing, which is a great thing. Oh man, that, that's, that's fabulous. Now, it's a huge leap from law to network marketing. How did you discover network marketing? It was just by chance. And I think that's the same story that a lot of people share. Our neighbor uh, was using the products and had just started checking out the business opportunity that comes with network marketing. And I saw her and her husband, Kevin and I were outside and uh, she and her husband were walking by. They looked fabulous. We said, what are you doing? They told us they were using these products. And I said, oh, great. Well, I, you know, definitely um, want to take a look at that because she looked so fabulous. And then she said under her breath, by the way, it's network marketing. And she said it like she was going to be dropping off some bootleg porn or liquor at the house later. Like it was really, you know, on the down low, so to speak. So I thought, hey, okay, I don't even know. And Kevin said, he, he, he was sort of just, you know, raking the leaves, kind of doing his thing. So as we're walking up the driveway, I said to him, you know, what's network marketing? He goes, oh, we don't want anything to do with that. They're going to fill our garage. They're going to put flip charts in our living room. We'll have no friends left. We are definitely not doing that. So I thought, wow, okay, Janie didn't say anything about that. She just told me about these great products, and I don't really know what network marketing is, so why not? So we ordered the products, had phenomenal results, same thing, and people started asking us about it. So then we said, oh, just talk to our neighbor. She'll tell you all about it. And Janie said, no, no, guys, you just, you put them into the computer, you help them get started. It's really as easy as that. And I thought I had this already negative sort of mindset around it based on what Kevin had said. But I thought, ah, I just don't want anything to do with that. And, you know, on top of that, Lewis, we were both working more than 60 hours a week at our job. Our son was then five years of age, you know, and kids are keep you busy. And we also had several rental properties we were looking at trying to maybe start a storage unit or something because we, we knew we wanted a residual income. We knew we wanted something above and beyond what our salaries were giving us, even though between the two of us, we we're making around quarter million dollars in income every year. Plus, we had benefits and 
pensions and all of those things. So we weren't hurting by any stretch. And the thought of adding one more thing into our lives was just overwhelming. I couldn't even imagine it. But then Kevin, uh, who you know was the first one to say no, was also the first one to say yes. Because when he realized that there was a legitimate income opportunity, because the first person that we referred into the system, we got paid for, he said, wait a second, you can actually make money at this? And I said, oh, I don't know, I guess. You know, We got an email saying we made some money. This is all I did. He said, okay, this is legit then. So what Kevin did was he, within a couple of weeks, was on an airplane headed to where our company is headquartered in Arizona for a three-day event where he was going to learn all about the business, meet the owners of the company, meet the people running the show, meet, see the products, get all of that information because... You know, he's a police officer for 22 years. He's going to investigate what's going on. And he came home saying, Pam, this is, this is, you won't believe how amazing this is. So I thought, oh my goodness. He drank the Kool-Aid. Worse, he inhaled it. He was probably, <laughs> doing, he was doing lines of the Kool-Aid while he was there. This is just, you know, over the top. I can't even imagine because I thought, oh, oh if Kevin's excited, then my spidey sense really went up because Kevin is amazing, but he's also, you know, Kevin doesn't only just think outside of the box. He kicks the box over and lights it on fire when he's got something. You know, he's he doesn't. It's he has two speeds, off and lightning speed. So when he came <laughs> home, over the top excited, I thought, oh boy, this is a danger signal. The red lights are going off for me. So I thought, no. He said, look, you can't make a judgment until you investigate for yourself. And I thought, that's fair. That's okay. I will. So there was a meeting that was happening in Toronto, a business meeting, uh, much smaller scale. You know, it was, a, I think, a Tuesday evening or something like that. Much, much smaller scale. So I went to that. And, of course, I show up. There's people, you know, they're excited. They're, there's music playing. And I thought, what the heck is going on here? Like, what? who are these people? What are they doing? You know, keeping in mind, I've got a lot of experience undercover and in the courtroom and I see all these happy people all excited on a Tuesday night I thought there's something super weird about this so I sat in the back with my arms crossed thinking I'm going to sit here prove Kevin wrong drive home and then tell him he's wrong but what happened really you know surprised me when I look back on it because over the course of the two hours my arms uncrossed and what I heard were stories from everyday people teachers, um, stay-at-home parents, retired people, young people in college, every sort of race, uh, spiritual belief, sexual orientation you can imagine were speaking from the front of the room about the transformations that happened for them, both either physically or uh, financially. And I thought the only thing these people have in common is their passion to go for their dreams, to really go for their something beyond themselves that's the only thing they had in common of course they had product results they had some income results but the one thing that really glued it all together for me were this this is a group of people who aren't going to sit there and judge everybody they're going to say you know what i have a goal of paying for my car payment putting my kids into a better school um having income to retire in a lifestyle that makes sense not just living you know from check to check having no mortgage, being able to fund uh, children's programs or orphanages or give back to their communities or the world at large and to be able to do it on their own terms, I thought, who the hell am I to sit here in judgment of these people? You know, I do that all day, every day in the courtroom, but this is real life. This is people 
who are really going for it and they're taking personal responsibility for their future. And at the end of that two hours, I was, you know, I had definitely been inhaling the Kool-Aid for sure because I was sitting there hearing these stories, just seeing the look on their face, talking with people because I went by myself. I didn't go with anyone. I went completely alone because I thought, Lewis, if this doesn't work out and Kevin truly is crazy, I don't want anyone to even know I was there. So I showed up by myself sat there, heard it. And then I drove home and said to Kevin, you're right. I can't believe it. This is amazing. This could change our lives. This, you know, what are we going to do? And our big goal, Lewis was never to quit our jobs from network marketing. That wasn't where Kevin and I, that's not where our mindset was in the spring of 2009, where our mindset was, if we could replace $500 a week in Kevin's overtime check, that could change our lives because then he would not have to work after hours he wouldn't have to go on so many call-outs. He wouldn't have to work weekends. And we could actually have a normal family life where we're both working during the week, but we'd have freedom on the weekends. So for us, that was $500 a week. We thought if we could hit that goal, you know, we'd be home free, be so amazing. And we hit that goal in a relatively short, short period of time. And then once we hit that goal, then we thought, okay, if we can do 500 a week, what about 1,000? What about 2,000? What about 5,000? You know, our goals never went from starting network marketing to quitting our jobs. It didn't happen like that. It went gradually as we experienced some success, then we thought, okay, what if we double that? What if we double that? What if we keep moving through that? And that's exactly what we did. And, and we're so fortunate that we partnered with some great people and a great company and made all of that happen. And I think that's where my passion around network marketing has really come into play because so often we go to, you know, for people that are listening that have, don't want anything to do with network marketing, I totally get that because that's who I was. But I would encourage you to really take a closer look, not necessarily at a particular company or product or whatever, that's normally how people get started, but at our profession as a whole in its entirety. Because there are some warts, there are there is some ugliness around it um, that we all end up paying for. But really, when you take a look at big picture, network marketing is simply a distribution model that allows everyday people like you and me, like people who are very, very little education or people that have 10 years plus post-secondary education like I do, and everybody in between, an opportunity to start a, a multi-million dollar business from home. And that doesn't exist in traditional business models. It just doesn't. And I know I looked, you know, Kevin and I were trying to start a, a franchise. We, we went, we were in the Tim Hortons list. We were offered a Tim Hortons in Ohio because uh, to get one in Canada is almost impossible. So we had that opportunity. We, we looked at a grill and chill, which is a Dairy Queen franchise. You know, we were going to those meetings and meeting with corporate on those things. We, we looked at starting, um, a storage unit business, a brick and mortar business, because we thought let's let's have something where people aren't telling us we have to move to Ohio. And I have no problem with Ohio. I think it's a beautiful state. It's just I'm Canadian and I wanted to stay and make my money and earn my living in Canada. So uh, that we had to rule that out. So let's let's take a look at some other options: traditional businesses, investing in the stock market, buying real estate. These are all things we do and have done, and they're great. But not everyone has. A thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars to invest, nor do they have the risk tolerance to go through the rough patches. 
you know, anyone who's lived through a challenging real estate period and you own investment real estate properties, you have to have the income or the cushion to pay for that if you don't have tenants or you have to pay for the damage done by tenants. So there's lots of options. Network marketing is not the only option, but it is a really great option for people who have low risk tolerance. It's a great option for people who don't have a lot to invest. And it's a great way to learn about business and learn about people without losing your shirt. You know, you can you you can eat your overhead or use your overhead if you're part of the, a services company or consumable company. Uh, you're not asked to invest, you know, thousands of dollars to have inventory on hand because the company looks after all of that. They look after the research and development. They look after the uh, the storage, they look after returns, they look after customer service, they look after shipping and distribution, product development, all of those things are looked after by your partner company. And you get to do the fun stuff, which is deal with people and talk to people about what your personal experiences are. I, I can't imagine a better business model. And I'm so grateful we found it. Wow, you just offered uh, many, many, many gems. And there are a couple of things that I really, really want to highlight here for those people who are listening. Some of you are maybe getting very excited by what you hear, and you should. But remember that Pamela said that she and her husband were working around the clock that they were sometimes putting in 60 hours a week or even more, which means that when, uh, when you're confronted with or you're offered an opportunity like this, you might find that your immediate response is going to be, well, I'm just too busy. Well, they were so busy that they make most people's busy look like leisure time. You see, busy is only an excuse. When you see something that you really, really desire, you find a way to do it. They found a way to do it. They had jobs that demanded their time, a son that demanded their time. The other thing I really want to highlight here is that Kevin had said, can you just repeat his exact words at the beginning when he was a skeptic, when you said, what's network marketing? <laughs> Absolutely. He said, we don't want anything to do with that. They're going to fill our garage. They're going to put flip charts in our living room. We're not going to have any friends left. We don't want anything to do with that. Okay. Thank you for saying that. You remember at the beginning of this show, I said, what are the most, the three most dangerous words in the English language? And they are, I know that. So what Kevin said, and Kevin is an educated man, an intelligent, perceptive guy, but he was repeating something that has become hearsay and passed down from one person to another, and there's no evidence for it. No evidence for it. It's just something that people assume they know. And what's really important is that Kevin and Pam had the uh, willingness to challenge that belief. And if they didn't, they'd probably still be struggling. So keep that in mind when your fears come up, when you're offered something that maybe is at least worth exploring. Now, would you say that the answer that he gave reflects a commonly held belief about network marketing? 
Oh, absolutely it does. And, you know, I think there is some history to that because there are some companies who didn't do it right. There are some current network marketers who don't do it right who really buy into the hype and promulgate the hype around network marketing and encourage people to buy a bunch of stuff they don't need to have, you know, samples and all of these different things on hand that they don't really need or training materials that they don't really need. Now that is shifting. We're seeing a huge shift in the profession of network marketing, which is fantastic. And it's because there have been some companies and some people who have taken advantage. And that's where the spotlight focuses. But the problem is our profession is probably one of the most heavy regulated and monitored professions anywhere. You take a look, we don't judge medicine based on the fact that one one or two doctors operated and, and took out the wrong thing, which has happened, right? We've heard about it, or they've prescribed the wrong thing. We don't write off all doctors and the profession of medicine as imbeciles and as uh, criminals because a couple make mistakes or have done things negligently because some of them have been negligent. Same with lawyers, same with uh, teachers. We don't lump those professions all into one big category because there have been problems. But unfortunately, with network marketing, that's what happens. You know, We take a look at the tobacco industry, for example, and what they sell and what they get away with and what they've been able to do, and they're not judged as harshly as network marketers are. And why is that? Well, it's because there are people like me, people that don't have experience uh, in high spin doctor marketing and have billion dollar marketing budgets and have, you know, these highly paid mouthpieces to go around and, and you know, talk about their products or, or talk and lobby governments. What we have are groups of people like me with that are just everyday people that are out there trying to do it sometimes without any training, sometimes they get excited and challenged. So they go out and say and do things that maybe they shouldn't. And then everyone shines a spotlight on that. Mm -hmm. So I think as a profession, we're doing some things right. We're seeing a big shift in the companies. When you take a look at the top companies in our profession, you can now see they're, they're toned down the hype, which is great. They've presented realistic expectations for people both from the what happens when you use their products as well as income opportunities because Lewis not everyone's going to work as hard as Kevin and I worked at network marketing to get the results that we got not everyone is going to come with the same set of skills you know we came with 40 plus years as professional question askers when we became network marketers not everybody mm -hmm. has that experience not everyone has the same circle of influence People need to take a look at where their skill set is, how much personal growth and development they already bring to the table, and what their belief is in their products, in their company, in network marketing as a profession, and in themselves, and what their ability is to do this, and how much time they're realistically going to dedicate to it. Because I, you know, if I treated my law profession the way I treated network marketing, I wouldn't have had a job. You know, I network marketing, I did two hours a night of focused time. But as a lawyer, I had to put a ton more time into that. Plus, I had to have, you know, seven years of post-secondary education to do all of the things that I was able to do as a lawyer. Now, my income as a network marketer crushes what I was making as a lawyer. 
but the training and what I, what I had to commit was so much smaller. So the payoff has been, you know, when I take a look at my return on investment has been so much greater, but people don't see that. They think network marketing has to be this overnight success story where they were once upon a time living in a van down by the river and now they're making gangster money, you know, and that's just <laughs> not true. Uh, we have to we have to be honest about what what's available, and setting our goals and expectation in alignment with what our skill set and commitment are. And and I really do see a shift in network marketing happening, and that's only going to get better. You know, when people see us as a real profession that requires real work and skills, we're going to have more and more people coming to us. And one day, my goal is in my lifetime. So that when people hear, you know, their neighbor or someone tell them it's network marketing, they're going to say, great, I've been looking for a network marketing company. Which one is it? Because I'm really excited about this type of product or I'm really excited to be able to do something. Tell me more about what you're doing. That's what I want to see happen. I want to see that shift from under your breath kind of whispering or embarrassed to talk about it to that's phenomenal. I'm actually looking at for a network marketing company right now. And I've narrowed it down to these five because this, these really work for me. So I'm hopeful that, you know, together we can all get behind that vision and really work hard at lifting up our profession as a whole. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, that that's happening. I mean, as we both know in less than a month, there'll be a major event in Las Vegas where two of the people who will be there training and endorsing the profession are Richard Branson and Anthony Robbins. Now, you know, what I love is, I mean, you, you first you had to deal with that powerful misconception that it's a shady business and you'll lose all your friends and you're going to load your garage. Then you had to deal with something else. How did your colleagues in the court system react to your new enterprise? Well, I got a new nickname. So I had a lot of nicknames in my careers. And, you know, when you're working undercover, you get a nickname. And so I was used to that. But in the courtroom, we don't have nicknames. My name was Madam Crown. That was how I was referred to. (laughs) Until... I started this network marketing business, and of course, I shared it with people that I was working with, which was other crown attorneys, defense counsel, the judges, the court staff, you know, people were asking, so I was telling. And then my nickname became Pyramid Pam, and it was started (laughs) by one particular defense counsel, and uh, it sort of caught on. So that's what they started calling me, Pyramid Pam, and at first, I was really offended by it. It felt like I felt like I had toilet paper stuck to my shoe after coming out of the restroom or something. It just was really this icky kind of feeling. And so I started researching, you know, maybe I missed something. Maybe I better find out what pyramids really are all about in law, not just, you know, what I hear about at events and things. But I want to look from a lawyer's perspective, what is a pyramid? So I, I read the case law. I read the sections of the criminal code. I looked at the American laws because a large part of our business was in the United States as well. So I wanted to be absolutely sure and satisfy myself that I was part of a legitimate business enterprise. And everything I read and looked at and researched and on and on and on pointed to the fact that I was in a legitimate, incredible business opportunity and that I was part of something that was really great. 
and that people misunderstand what a pyramid is. They, they put it out there because it sounds either kind of funny or it makes them sound like they've taken a look or what they really know what they're talking about. But when you ask people, what do you mean by that? If they say, is it a pyramid or it's a pyramid, they don't know, or they tell you something that resembles a Ponzi scheme. Now, when I was working undercover, I had to actually investigate a pyramid or Ponzi scheme in an undercover capacity. And I look back at that. That was my really my first undercover experience, which was more like Martha Stewart as opposed to Charlie's Angels, which I thought, you know, what I was going for. But I ended up doing this thing where I went to this woman's house who was offering this opportunity um, called the Muffin Club. And what you did was you brought $5,000 in a muffin tin and you gave it to the muffin lady. And this was your muffin contribution. And it was sort of like that airplane game. I don't know if you ever remember that from you know, the oh, 70s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, was, so, you know, everybody brings and buys a certain... So for us, it was muffins. But the airplane game, you know, you buy a seat on the airplane for, say, $5,000. And then once eight seats are filled, the captain of the plane, or in my case, the muffin queen there, would get all of the money and exit with her $40,000. And then new muffins would come in or new people on the plane would come in and they give their money and so on. And every time you bring someone new, you bump up a seat or two. And then once you finally reach the top, you end up cashing out all the money. Now, sounds really easy and really interesting until you recognize, number one, it's illegal because there's no product or service being offered. It's just a shell game of money. And number two, there's no way to sustain that. Eventually, you're going to run out of people, and there's no way to sustain that type of system. So that's a scheme. That's illegal. Anytime there's no product or service being exchanged, and it's just money or you're just being paid to recruit, that is illegal. That's a pyramid. But if you're offering a product or service, which is what network marketers do, and you're getting paid for that, that's commerce. That's business. That's free enterprise that's capitalism and that's something that's celebrated so really understanding the difference between the two is so critically important that people just throw out names and labels without really any understanding and i don't blame them for that i think it's our jobs as professionals to educate people now to educate yourself you don't have to do what i did and read you know hundreds of cases and research all the law around all of that what you just need to understand is if there's a product or service and you receive a commission, not only for your own sale, which is what you do initially in network marketing, but once you have a team of people and they're making sales, you you get some income from that as well. That's a completely legitimate business model, multi-level marketing or network marketing. It's not a pyramid or a Ponzi scheme. Now, if you're simply being paid to recruit more people and bring more people in that are paying money, that's illegal and that's a scheme. So just understanding the differences between those, and they're very, very different. There's no similarity whatsoever. There's no fine gray line. Now, do some people set up shell network marketing games to mask a pyramid? Absolutely they do. Do some lawyers set up shell companies to make money and do things illegally absolutely do some real estate investors you know sell swampland in florida that doesn't really exist absolutely so in any profession in any sort of investment area there are going to be people who do things for their own gain and do illegal things and take brilliant models and turn them on their head 
for their own gain. Absolutely, that happens. But when you are in a real network marketing company, run appropriately and legitimately with real products, real services, that there's no comparison between the two. So I, I would encourage people to not use that label and not take a look at things from that perspective and, until you know they really understand what this is all about. It's a huge passion of mine to educate people about what network marketing is and what it is not. And it is also mine, and thank you so much for that. So just to summarize the important point that uh, Pamela made, it's a pyramid scheme if there is no end product or service ever given to um, an end user. And it's a legitimate business if people are paying to receive a good, in fact, often more than good, product or service. Big, big difference. Now, what interests me is that you had lawyers, you had attorneys turning around and calling you Pyramid Pam. And we would assume that those colleagues in the court system, they're, they're, they're highly educated people, are they not? Oh, absolutely. And, and they're very nice people. You know, they, it, was, it was a joke around at first and things. But again, there's ignorance at all different levels, regardless of formal education. People don't get certain things. You know, these same people, uh, and again, great people, some of them are still, I'm still friendly with, we chat with and, and still connect with even years after I've left the courtroom, that they just don't understand it. Not because um, they're, they're, they're choosing not to, just because that's not where their area of reference is. They don't have a desire for anything above and beyond what they're already doing. And there are a lot of people like that, and that's totally fine. Not everybody wants to be a network marketer, and I get that. Some people are really happy doing what they do. But, you know, I encourage people to take a look at that. You know, is what you're doing every day worth the price you're paying for it? So if you're away from your family, away from your kids, the people you care about all the time because you're at work, and you love your job, and you that's the choice you're making, that's fabulous. I don't judge that. I don't make any sort of judgment call around that. I think if you're happy and you're living into your potential, that's wonderful. But for a lot of people that I've met, it's not enough. They, they like their job. They feel that they're making a contribution with their job. But there are so many other things that they want to do. They want to travel more. They want to be debt-free. They want to spend the most important weeks and days and hours with the people that they care about doing the things they want to do, not doing the things that they feel they have to do in order to pay the mortgage or to pay the bills. So those are the type of people, the, the ones who want more, that are attracted to the business model of network marketing. And then we have a, a different set of people that are really just looking for a little bit of extra income, maybe to pay for their products or maybe to... Uh, have a debt-free holiday season. You know, those those are people that are wonderful as well. They're customers of network marketing products because they love them. And maybe they're earning a little bit from referring a few people to that. And that's fabulous as well. Not everyone is looking to quit their jobs and to earn, 
you know, a significant income from network marketing. There's actually a very small portion of people who are really, truly looking for that. And the ones I know that are really, truly looking for it are the ones who actually do the work to get it. There's a huge section of people in network marketing who are, I call them high-functioning product users. They're people who love the products. They're great customers. They earn a little bit of extra money on the side, and they're super happy with that, and I think that's amazing. And then we have another group of people who are just customers. They want nothing to do with any part of the business model, but they love the products. Like you mentioned, Lewis, they're, the products that come out of network marketing companies are a lot of times very high quality products. There's a lot of research that goes into them. And because they're all referred by people using them, they have to be high quality. They can't be just, you know, dollar store bargain basement kind of things. They're high quality because they, the companies want their customers to tell other people about them. So they're a great quality product. So we have a ton of people who just want to be customers. You know, I want to order stuff online. I want to deliver it to my house. I want to be able to use it. But I'm not going to tell really anybody about it, and I'm not going to refer anybody. I just want to use the products, which is wonderful. And then we have a, a group of people who don't want any of that. And that's fine, too. That's not who we're looking for. You know, in, in network marketing, we're looking for people who, number one, want to be our customers, who want to use our products, who would buy our products whether there's an income opportunity or not. But that's a huge portion. And then we have that group of people, like myself, like my husband, like the people we've partnered with, who are looking for more, who want more. And there are systems in place to help them get that because that's the brilliance of network marketing. They recognize that people don't come with a huge background in how to do this. They don't come with a marketing background, a sales background, they don't come with any of that. They just come as they are. And then we show them simple systems that they can put into place in order to reach the goals that they set for themselves. Not the goals I set for them, but the goals that they tell me about so that we can get them on the right track in order to accomplish that. that that's the brilliance of network marketing. Mm -hmm, I agree. Now, what was the trigger moment that made you and Kevin decide to leave lucrative, respected careers altogether with powerful benefit plans and then devote yourselves 100% to network marketing? Well, he was uh, a five-year-old with big blue eyes and blonde hair. And, you know, so many times I felt like he was my reason to not do network marketing because, you know, there was time taken away from our family. Uh, like I mentioned, we worked crazy hours, and now we're going to have to work a few more hours every day in order to make this business. But one morning in particular, I was getting ready for court. Kevin had to leave every day for work at between 5 and 5.30 in the morning because he had a over an hour commute, plus he was a canine handler with a specialized emergency response team. So he was gone a lot. So on this particular day, Kevin's gone. I'm rushing around to try to get Caleb, our son, ready for preschool. You know, I've got my Blackberry tucked into my shoulder. I've got my suit on. I'm trying to load everything into my brief uh, box that I have on wheels so I can get to court in time, get him dropped off. And Caleb looked up at me and said, you know, mommy, are we in a hurry again today? And I realized at that moment that what I was teaching Caleb wasn't that he was my most important priority because he was. In my heart of hearts, he absolutely was. But my actions were not in alignment with what I was feeling and saying to him. What my actions were showing him was that 
he was sort of a, a bit in the way because I was a very busy lawyer trying to get ready and rush around in the morning. Now, I'm not saying that to make parents listening to this feel guilty because I, I totally get that whatever you're doing, you're doing it because you're, you're trying to make things better for your family or trying to make ends meet. And I get that absolutely. But when he said that to me, it was like a knife went through my heart. And I remember calling Kevin because Kevin was already on board to take a diver deep into this business. You know, he was ready to go a little deeper. And I was sort of holding back a little bit because I was really attached to my career. I worked really hard for that career and the title that came along with it. And I know that sounds vain and, you know, people are thinking, well, I, I don't feel that way, but take a look at your own career and what, how hard you've worked, what you're attached to. And I thought, you know, it's really just not worth it. Like I, I'm, I'm not going to have tons of time with Caleb in life because they grow so quickly. The first five years were already a blur. I was imagining the next five, 10, 15 years with him. And I thought, do I really just want to shove him out the door? And then he was always the first kid dropped off in the morning, Lewis, and the last kid picked up at the end of the day. And I thought, you know, I, I'm just, there's got to be more. And when we saw that we were already making, you know, $500 a week, we were already making some income with the company. We thought there's got to be more. So then Kevin and I really buckled down and we went for it knowing if we could meet certain goals in a certain period of time, we could walk away from our careers. So it didn't, I make it sound like that decision happened overnight, but it really didn't. You know, it was really, Caleb just said something that my ears were ready to hear. I think I'd already been feeling it for quite a while, but I wasn't open enough to acknowledge it and to see that because that's pretty painful as a parent to take a look and realize that you're not acting in alignment with what you say you're doing. And, you know, to be that self-aware is challenging and difficult and painful at times. So when he said that and I phoned Kevin and he said, okay, and we went for it, um, that, that was a big game changer. But that, I do remember that moment in particular. You know, the more you talk, the more you, you are re revealing uh, courageous moments in your life. I mean, you know, leaving careers that, are, that have status, respect in the eyes of the world, that have very good salaries and have benefit plans, is something that many, many people would never find the courage to do. And it really does take courage to do it. And I look at that as you guys were making a prison break. I mean that. It's mm -hmm. like that stepping into a, a lifestyle where you can earn a lot of money, but it's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not, you know, you're not, you don't have a salary in network marketing. It's, it's pure commission. That for people to leave that what they think is security and step into that it's the it's like it's a prison break choice and uh, you know um, applaud applauds and uh, uh, bravos to you guys for being able to do that and make it work now you know you talk about something fascinating in your book you talk about the village idiot syndrome and could you briefly go into that and how it applies to network marketing well, absolutely. You know, we, I mentioned when you start undercover, you have to start, sometimes you start at a higher level if you have an agent who comes and introduces you. So agents bring their a whole different ball game with them. An agent is, 
you know, a criminal, a drug dealer who vouches for you, introduces you. So you can skip a lot of steps. There are problems that come along with that, as you can well imagine. But a lot of times you start a project at street level. So you just go into a town, you don't know a soul, and you have to meet people. And the first person you look for, and it's a terrible term, but it's it's what we use, is the village idiot. So you, you meet the person who knows the drug dealers, who knows the people who can introduce you and vouches for you right away. And it, it really skips a lot of steps for you because now they're saying, hey, I know this person, I, I trust them, and I'm going to introduce you to all of these different people. So it saves you a lot of steps. And sometimes we have that in network marketing as well, where people hype up the opportunity, they hype up their qualifications, they they vouch and hype a lot of stuff that's really, they don't have really the background or or really the ability to do that. They're, they make stuff up to make it sound better than it is. And we really need to work hard to eradicate those people from our profession. The ones that are that are on social media talking about, you know, make make a thousand dollars in twenty four hours or make money overnight or all you have to do is talk to three people or all you have to do is post this thing on Facebook and you're gonna make millions. And we just it's just not true. And I, I my hope is that we can start steering away from that kind of hype and craziness and really get back to truth and authenticity and integrity. And I think we are doing that. You know, we see incredible generic network marketing events happening. We see phenomenal companies that are recognized by the FTC as exceptional examples to what our profession is supposed to be all about. And if we just start taking the blinders off and taking a look and let go of our biases, let go of our the stigma that we think network marketing brings with it, take a look at it just with an honest, open mind, we'll see that there are many, many companies, many people, lots of leaders, lots of people in this profession that are worth linking arms with and building a sustainable, incredible business that not only provides an income for you, but is a legacy income for your families, for the communities that you're a part of. And, and I see that happening more and more. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Now, there's one... Um one important thing that I think you mentioned in the book about the village idiot, that the village idiot is the village idiot because that person is motivated by greed. And mm -hmm. they, they're they so hungry to get a piece of the pie they think they can get if they bring you on board yeah. and recommend you in the drug world that they begin to hype it up. And so, yeah, I know this person because all they're thinking about is, wow, I'm going to win some big prize, some big financial prize. And that's the same as the person in network marketing who hypes and hypes and hypes when they really don't have to, correct? It's a, oh, it, absolutely. Greed, it, greed is an ugly motivator, Lewis. And I think, yep. you know, network marketing is not alone in that by any stretch. And I try to draw the parallels in the book from the drug world and our network marketing world for a lot because that's my frame of reference. So yep. that's why I use those different examples so that people can can see what I'm trying to outline for them. Because if they don't have experience with network marketing, um, they can see some parallels there. And, and greed does motivate people to hype and to make up statistics that don't really exist. You know, there are so many myths and statistics that people just throw out there, especially on social media. And it, it's damaging to all of us. 
Um, you know, there's one in particular that I want to clear up right now. And, and some of you may have seen it, you know, 80% of women earning over $100,000 a year are, have done it from direct sales or network marketing. Well, of course, that's not true. Um, first, there'd be no way to, to track that, first of all, because, I, again, I called the Direct Selling Association. I called the FTC. I tried to find the statistic. I tried to source it. I knew that it was likely untrue, but I thought, you know, I, I want to source this. So everything I mentioned in the book, I've sourced every which way to Sunday. There's no stat or figure or anything that I put in there that I can't back up with real data. And that one is one that doesn't make any sense. You know, I know a lot of women who are lawyers who made more than $100,000 a year. I know a lot of people who do many different jobs that make over $100,000 a year. And it's a tough gig to get there in network marketing. You know, there's not not 80% of women in North America earning over 100 k do it from network marketing. That's not true. So we, we need to get rid of those kinds of stats because the people reading them know they're not true. And the people who want to believe and buy into that are the ones who are looking for those hyped up reasons to justify their decision, as opposed to looking deeper for the real reason why they're involved in network marketing, the real thing they're trying to achieve. Because it's normally not money. It's what the money can do for them and for their family and for the people they care about. That's really important. Mm -hmm. So just making that shift. Oh, yeah, I agree. There's another one, too, that I... Um, I was just at an event where they discussed it. It's another one of these uh, untruths that, that people throw around. You see it a lot on social media. You'll read that Donald Trump was on the David mm -hmm. Letterman show, mm -hmm. and he was asked, if you had to start all over again, what would you do? And he said, I would do network marketing. Not true, guys. There's no evidence that that was ever said. And you know what? We don't even need that kind of hype because the truth is that there are so many wonderful things, as, as Pamela's been suggesting to you, that come out of really working at network marketing as a, as a profession, that you don't need all of this extra hype. Now, Along those lines, can you paint a picture of your life before and after network marketing, Pamela? Absolutely. Before, I mentioned, you know, working crazy hours as a lawyer. Loved that job. Had really great job satisfaction. Worked with amazing people. Married to an incredible man with a distinguished policing career. Again, loved what he did. And we had a young son and we were trying for other things so that our future financially would be even brighter. And just no free time. You know, every weekend was spent playing catch up on all the things that we weren't able to do during the week, like getting groceries done and cleaning up the yard and trying to, you know, manage all the social things that you wanted to do and you just back them up and back them up. And now, uh, and our son was also, you know, in before and after care at school because we just didn't have time. And then we had a live in nanny for a while because. Again, even when we were home, we weren't really parenting. So all of those things, uh, when I look back at it now, I, I can't even imagine that that was our, our life. And now we have incredible time freedom. We moved across the country because our son loves to ski. So now we live in a little ski town. We used to live near Toronto. And now we live in a little place called Fernie, British Columbia, which is surrounded by the Canadian rocky mountains and we have incredible skiing and every day we're here when our son wakes up and every day we're here when he comes home from school and we both volunteer at his school and we're both 
board members at, on his ski team, and we volunteer for other things in our community. We travel together as a family, not just on those two weeks that we get because of our seniority and our jobs, and we have to wait for everybody else to kind of pick their holidays, and we work around that. Now we go whenever we want to go, where we want to go. Now, granted, it's mostly chasing the snow uh, because we all love to ski, but some people want to chase the sunshine or the beach or whatever it is. But, you know, we get to plan our days and we don't have alarm clocks anymore. Our sun is essentially our alarm clock. We, and Kevin and I work from home together. Now, before you get all freaked out, all these husbands and wives listening, thinking, you know, you'd kill each other working from home. At first, I wasn't too sure about that. Now that Kevin and I didn't have uh, our drugs and guns as our backgrounds, we thought, how are we going to work together here? Like, what, what's this going to even look like? Because, that, that can be a challenge, but it's been phenomenal for us because the stress is off, the financial stress is off, the time stress is gone. So now we can have coffee together, we can hang out, we can go for a workout together. Um, this coming weekend, we're having date weekend together. You know, we get to do a lot of different things. It's just more relaxed, I guess, Lewis, would be my my biggest takeaway from all of that, of course, we still have, you know, you're still parenting, you're still got the different things around the house and all of that, that doesn't disappear. Just the pressure around all of those things is gone. Well, yeah, it, it's, I know, because um, I'm, I'm living um, as a single person, living that kind of freedom. It's wonderful to hear it from a person who um, has a, a husband and a child and the kind of freedom that it's brought you. And here's the irony. When you were working around the clock, your income was substantially lower than it is now through network marketing. Am I correct? You are. And we used to pay a lot more taxes because as an employee, you know, we were in the 100,000 plus tax bracket, each of us. So we were paying 46.8% income tax. Uh, we were in the highest tax bracket. And now as self-employed or being the owners of our own business, because essentially that's what you are as a network marketer, we have a different tax outline because we're now taxed as a personal corporation. So our taxes is in the 20 something percent as opposed to the 40 6.8%. And we have a lot more write-offs. As an employee working for the government, we didn't have write-offs. We couldn't write off, you know, part of our, if I, I was doing a lot of work from home, I'd bring crown briefs home, read them. I'd email police officers. I'd have them over to my house to talk about things or meet them at the office and do all of that. I didn't get to write any of that off, but now I'm working in a much nicer home office and I get to write um, that part of my home off and my income tax. So there's a, a whole tax thing around having your own business as well. And even if, you know, even when we were working full time and had our network marketing business as a part time business, we had write offs that we never knew was possible. So that's a big difference as well. So you have that time freedom, but you also now have a different tax um, benefit. You have a lot of benefits that come with being your own business in a network marketing world that you don't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to be responsible here, so we're not going to make any kind of income claims. But we do know that even though you had lucrative careers and a wonderful income, that your income now is 
more impressive. Yeah, um, it's significant. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's 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 drug dealer money, Lewis, without being drug dealer. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's all good. <laughs> well, <laughs> now, now you guys, you know, the powders that you sell are shakes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh, and now, any final thoughts that you'd like to leave people with? Well, but actually, before we get to that, what about your book? When is it coming out and how can people get it? Well, thanks so much for that, Lewis. And it's coming out in the new year. It's uh, gone through a couple of edits and I appreciate uh, the feedback that you've helped with as well. So thanks for that. And people can get it. It'll be available in Barnes and Noble. It'll be available to order online through Amazon, etc. And if people want to check out, you know, even just download a chapter, see if it's something that's interesting to them, they can go to thecasefornetworkmarketing.com and uh, they'll be able to follow the instructions there and go through that. But, you know, it'll be available in hardcover and softcover uh, in probably late January, early February. So I'll keep you posted on that, and there'll be uh, information that people can get from that website as well. But but people can get a chapter now, right? They can, just to see if it's something that's interesting to them, if they want to check it out, and then they'll be notified if they, uh, when they get that free chapter, um, they'll have the option to be notified when the book is available for purchase, and they can either download it on their e-reader then or get a hardcover or a softcover. And my husband is encouraging me to do the audible.com as well to do the spoken because a lot of people are busy, right? I was busy. I listened to most of my books when I was driving. So uh, we'll also have um, a downloadable audible.com version available for people. Absolutely. And by the way, Audible is a sponsor for this very, very podcast. And um, people should know that when it is released, um, if that's the particular book that they would like as a free download, they can actually get it as a free download. Oh, great. Yeah, by just going to um, www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Now, you said that the name was The Case for Network Marketing, correct? That's the website. So the book is A Lawyer's Case for Network Marketing. Oh, but okay. we, shor- we shortened the, the website to The Case for Network Marketing, just to save having to type out the word lawyer in there as well. So thecasefornetworkmarketing.com, and uh, you'll see a little bit about the book, and you can put your info in, get a free chapter, and then from there you'll be notified when the book is available, um, either in e-format, audible, or hardcover if you're looking. Fantastic. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave people with? Well, I'm just excited that people are taking time to educate themselves with your podcast and to learn about different people and different options. And clearly, just not close your mind off to opportunities. Maybe network marketing is for you. Maybe it isn't. But you owe it to yourself, I believe, just to check it out and see. And if it is, fantastic. And if it isn't, well, you've learned something new. You've met a couple of new people and you've heard some cool stories. Thank you for that. And by the way, people, one of the things that one of the reasons that you may want to explore network marketing, as well as other sources of income for yourself, is that our economy, and I'm talking about the world economy, has changed forever. This is not something that is a dip. 
There won't be a bounce back. Digital technology is changing your world in ways that are going to stun you in about five years. Your world will look the way a science fiction movie does now. And you're going to need to look for alternatives besides the job market that was basically created to accommodate the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution is bye-bye. And on that note, I will say thank you so much for being here today and offering so much value to our guest today, Pamela. Thanks again for having me, Lewis, and I'm looking forward to listening to many more of your podcasts and learning about some cool people and their stories. Thank you. I received that, Pamela. And by the way, if you will please indulge me, I just thought of one final question. Can you teach me how to jump out of a moving car? Well, I wish I could, you know, it would involve a lot of Kevlar because I was still picking gravel out of my shoulder and my thigh about four days later. So uh, you can learn the hard way. So then maybe I shouldn't, eh? (laughs) I would go go with a big no on that, Lewis. There are much safer ways to get your thrills, like maybe bungee jumping or skydiving. I just thought it would be so cool. You know, like maybe if I was on a first date or something and (laughs) and I would say to the woman, you know, let me show you something, you know, we're in a cab and an Uber and I suddenly jump and I roll out and then I get up and I'm brush myself off and I'm fine. <laughs> oh yeah, if only it were that easy. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Pam. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, storytellers, for tuning in live today. You know, I have a feeling that you had as much fun and were as engaged as I was listening to Pamela today. Let us know what you got from today's show. Send your comments to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. I will share them with Pamela, and I will select some to share with the world on this show. Remember that you can... Hear this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and of course, at the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. Now, I think you'll agree that Pamela has a very engaging way of communicating. She is a wonderful storyteller. You can get the ebook that I've created that will definitely strengthen your storytelling skills, both for personal communication and for business. Just go to changeyourstorypodcast.com, leave your name and email, and you will download your free ebook, Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. And as always, I leave you with a final thought. I began the show by asking, what are the most three dangerous words in the English language? And they are, of course, I know that. During the next week, ask yourself, have I been using the words I know that?
to block me from enjoying some enriching experience in my life? And if the answer is yes, stop doing it. Walk right into your fear and watch those words dissolve. Replace them with these words. How can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Luis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.